excited. Uh, today we are going to be looking at Acts chapter 8. I encourage you, open your Bibles, uh, use a device, whatever you need to look at, look over on your friend's shoulder if you need to, get out your Bibles, open God's Word for yourself today, read along, make sure I'm not making things up. Acts chapter 8 is our primary passage is going to be verse 26 through 40. If you have extra finger or a bookmark or something like that, put that on Isaiah 53. That's in the Old Testament. But our, our main passage is going to be Acts chapter 8, verses 26 through 40. Of course, we're continuing our series, right? Guess who's coming to dinner? Um, and that's a reference to an older movie uh, where an interracial couple gets married. Um, and we are looking at race, ethnicity, and mission in the Bible. And today, specifically, we are looking at a familiar story, the Ethiopian eunuch. Um, basically, what's happening in Acts chapter 8, just to put it in context, is in the very beginning of Acts 8 is where Saul, who later becomes Paul, is ravaging the church. He's pulling Christians out of their homes. He is dragging them to prison and things like that. And so there's a lot of persecution going on in the middle of Jerusalem. Um, right after that passage, the church is scattered. We read about this guy named Philip, who we're going to follow today, and he preaches in Samaria. You all remember about Samaria? No? Ah, okay, you all remember Samaria? Pastor Tommy preached about Samaria and how important that was last time. And then um, right after that, we read this cool story about Simon the Magician, which I can't tell you about today. We don't have time. And then comes our passage for today, which is the Ethiopian and the eunuch. And so, um, or no, the Ethiopian eunuch. There's not two of them. So the things that we're going to look at today, there it goes, are the ends of the earth, that phrase is very, very important, and it applies specifically to what's going on with that eunuch. We're going to look at baptism barriers. What are the barriers? Uh, if I could rename the sermon like outside of the sermon series, it would be that quote that the eunuch says. He says, what is there that prevents me from being baptized? What is the barrier? What, what is, stands in my way as, as a eunuch from Africa from being baptized? Oh, I'm getting ahead of myself. All right, the last thing is, the Spirit of God, because that is the primary actor in the book of Acts. It's the Acts is all about that. So as we read this, remember, it's not about Philip. It's actually not about the eunuch. It is about the Spirit of God. So those are kind of the three areas we're going to hit today. Now, let me read our passage for us. Our primary passage is in Acts chapter 8, verses 26 through 40. Make sure I get it right. There we go. There's Simon. There he is. Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Rise and go toward the south to the road that goes from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert place. And he rose and went. And there was an Ethiopian, a eunuch, a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all her treasure. He had come to Jerusalem to worship and was returning, seated in his chariot, and he was reading the prophet Isaiah. And the spirit said to Philip, go over and join this chariot. So Philip ran to him and heard him reading Isaiah the prophet and asked, Do you understand what you are reading? And he said, like anyone, How can I unless someone guides me? And he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. Now the passage of the scripture that he was reading was this. Like a sheep he was led to the slaughter. Like a lamb before its shearer is silent. So he opens not his mouth. In his humiliation, justice was denied him. Who can describe his generation? For his life is taken away from the earth. And the eunuch said to Philip, About whom, I ask you, does the prophet say this? About himself or about someone else? 
Then Philip opened his mouth, and beginning with this scripture, he told him the good news about Jesus. And as they were going along the road, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, See, here is water. What prevents me from being baptized? And he commanded the chariot to stop, and they both went down into the water, Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. And when they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord carried Philip away, and the eunuch saw him no more and went on his way rejoicing. Um, I'll read the last one. But Philip found himself at Azotus, and as he passed through, preached the gospel to all the towns until he came to Caesarea. This is the word of the Lord, and we say, thanks be to God for his word for us today. All right, so first of all, ends of the earth. Let me make, my slides are kind of funny because I'm using Tommy stuff. Okay, there it goes, ends of the earth. So, ends of the earth. First of all, remember, and, and we kind of been over this history a number of times, so if you're visiting today, I'm not going to go into a lot of detail, but remember when we read Ethiopia, particularly in the, in the Old Testament, really in the New Testament as well, that that is not referring primarily, most times in Scripture, to modern-day Ethiopia. You know, we want to think that, but that is not what's going on. In the Greco-Roman world, they use the term Ethiopia to basically describe anything south of Egypt. But primarily, just south of Egypt was a kingdom, um, an African kingdom that existed for thousands and thousands of years, the land of Cush. And that is primarily the region that they're referring to. But it really, it refers to anything south of there. From the time of Homer, who wrote the Iliad, which we all had to read in high school. You guys read that thing? Yeah. We made it through. Uh, From that time on, whenever the Greco-Romans referred to Ethiopia, they were talking about that region. And guess what they described it as? They said that it was the edge of the earth or the end of the earth. Does that sound familiar to you? Um, In Matthew chapter 28, just to like drive it home, it's not just the language of the day. It's actually in scripture too that we see that this area that the eunuch is headed to is considered the ends of the earth. Remember in in Matthew 28, and we're going to do this in our profession later, we're going to say this, but Jesus told his disciples before he um, ascended into heaven, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. And then he said, I want you to go and I want you to wait in Jerusalem for the coming of the Holy Spirit. And last week we talked about how that actually happened at Pentecost. If you read Acts chapter 1 verse 8, which we actually just read some of it together, Jesus said this, you wait there and you will receive power from the Holy Spirit and will come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and where else? To the ends of the earth. You guys are Presbyterians. To the ends of the earth, right? To the ends of the earth. Really cool thing, Acts 1.8 says that. Flip it to our chapter, Acts 8.1 says this. There grows a great day of persecution against the church in, guess where? Jerusalem. And they were scattered, guess where? Judea and Samaria. Guess which term is not mentioned? Ends of the earth. But when we move a little further down, so the next thing that happens is Philip goes to Samaria, and then Philip goes to the, talk to this guy who's going to Ethiopia, the edge of the world, the ends of the earth. This is clearly God saying, look, I just made this promise. You're going to reach Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth. And it's already in motion by Acts chapter 8 before Saul has even become Paul. This is in motion and it is going to happen. Um, I was going to make a joke, but I'm not going to make it. Okay, so next, 
Tommy's not here, so I'm tempted, but I'm going to hold off. All right, baptism barriers. So, who is this guy, this eunuch, and what is going on with him? Well, the term eunuch is used often in, the old, um, in, the, in Scripture and in ancient Near East um, to describe somebody who is an official. Um, but it is also clearly used in this place to also, it, it is a, a eunuch, right? It is a castrated man. Um, those guys were in ancient world used primarily to watch over harems because they couldn't do anything and also to watch over finances. It's like, you want to be a CPA? So those are the things primarily that they were doing. We read that this eunuch was primarily in charge of the treasury of this woman, uh, Queen Candace, which is absolute confirmation that we are talking about the land of Cush. And remember that the land of Cush is known for, one of the things that they're known for, was the darkness of their skin. Was that that is the place in that ancient world that you would see the people with the darkest possible skin in the world. And so they're known for that. So this is an important official. um, And what's more important or interesting for us is that eunuchs were one of the categories of people that were expressly um, prohibited from participating in the worship of Jerusalem, in the worship of Yahweh. If you read back in Deuteronomy, and I'm not going to read the first part because it's very graphic, but if you're into that, Deuteronomy 23.1 says this. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to sub. A eunuch is cut off and shall not enter the assembly of the Lord. In other words, whether you were born a eunuch or if you become a eunuch, you are not allowed to come into the assembly of the Lord. And think about that from the Old Testament perspective. They are not allowed, because of their body, the way their deformity, for lack of a better word, to be in the presence of God in the temple, to worship, to participate, to make sacrifices. They're not allowed at all. In fact, there's a whole category of people, and this is primarily in the Old Testament for symbolic reasons, right? Because the temple is what? The residing place of God. It's heaven here on earth. It's supposed to be a place of perfection. And so in the Old Testament, you have all of this symbolic information that is super important to foreshadowing what's coming. And so eunuchs is one of these categories that knew they could never go. In fact, when we read about this eunuch, I'll try to calm down and slow down a little, guys. I get really excited when I'm preaching. (laughs) What we know about this eunuch is that he went up to Jerusalem to do what? Did you read it? Did you catch it? What was he doing there? Worshiping. Worshiping. He was worshiping up there. And the reason he was doing what? What What just happened? The Feast of Pentecost. Well, this is a eunuch. How is he worshiping? Well, he's kind of worshiping, right? He's not fully in as part of Israel, but he's a God-fearer. He's interested in what's going on. He's come all the way up from Ethiopia. He's come all the way up from the ends of the earth to Jerusalem during this feast time. He, uh, that kingdom would be aware of, of Israel. They had a garrison down there on the Nile nearby. So they would be aware of what's going on. Plus, they're like, they're like Wakanda. They're this huge, beautiful, wonderful kingdom um, of the day. And they know what's going on. And so this guy goes up there to worship. But more likely, he's what we would call a God-fearer. A God-fearer was someone who was interested in, 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 um, in the Jewish religion, someone who was not Jewish, a pagan, outside, a Gentile outside of the Jewish faith, but they were interested in Yahweh. They wanted to know more about him. They wanted to learn more about him. So that's likely what's going on with this guy, this eunuch. And as he's going back down, knowing that he can never, ever ever really worship Yahweh, that he can never be a part of the family of God, he's reading Isaiah 53. 
And this is where I'm going to jump a little around in Isaiah. So if you have it open, Isaiah, this, this section in Isaiah 53 that he's reading, of course we all know, um, it's the section that starts in Isaiah 52, verse 13, that's called, He was pierced for our transgressions. We read it a lot of times uh, during Advent and things like that. But if you look at Isaiah chapter 52, verse 15, this is the section or the area he's reading in. It says this, it's talking about his servant, uh, talking about Jesus Um, that he'll be exalted, his form beyond that, uh, his appearance is marred. And then it says in verse 15, he'll be marred so that he shall sprinkle many nations. And listen, y'all, I'm a Presbyterian, and the way you're supposed to baptize people is with sprinkling. And this is one of the reasons why, is because right here it's talking about the blood of the covenant being sprinkled upon the nations. If you want to be in line with the Old Testament theology and meaning, you need to be Presbyterian. That said... That said, we do notice that this eunuch is likely immersed, but we won't, we, won't, we won't spend a lot of time there. All right, keep moving. You fast forward. This is what is even like more mind-blowing for me, Isaiah 56, just a few chapters away from where he is, Isaiah 56, verse 3 through 5. This is what it says, right? Oh, my gosh. Amen. Imagine that you are a eunuch. Um, and in a world, in, an, in the ancient world, where one of the only ways you could expect to have eternal life was to have children. We've talked about this before, right? In the Old Testament, how important it was that Abraham was promised children. Even today, in many, many cultures, if you can't have children, if you are barren or unable to have progeny, in some sense, your life, your eternality is over. And so you have this eunuch whose life is, is not his own. He's been castrated so that he can serve a a queen and a king in his kingdom. He has no chance whatsoever of ever having children, of ever being included in the worship of God. And he reads this in Isaiah 56, verse 3. Let not the foreigner who has joined himself to the Lord say, the Lord will surely separate me from his people. And let not the eunuch say, behold, I am a dry tree. For thus says the Lord to the eunuchs who keep my Sabbath, who choose the things that please me and hold fast to my covenant, I will give in my house and within my walls a monument and a name better than sons and daughters. I will give them an everlasting name that shall not be cut off. Now imagine as a eunuch in the ancient world, you're reading this text. Don't you want to know who the guy is in Isaiah 53 who's going to bring this about? Is this talking about the prophet or is this talking about somebody else? And we know, of course, that he's talking about Jesus. And starting there, Philip explains the gospel that that guy, the suffering servant, has come. By his stripes we are healed. And that anyone, even the eunuch, is welcomed into the kingdom of God to have an everlasting name forever and a house and a home forever that is what he is reading there and so he says there's water right over there what is it that prevents me from being baptized in other words at this point there's no circumcision necessary there's no rituals necessary there is nothing necessary what is it that prevents me if you're telling me the truth about this Jesus who has opened up the way completely to every people, to every nation, to every tribe, to every category of outcast that has no, no, ever been allowed into the temple before, if that has happened, what prevents me? And so here's what he says. Here's what uh, Philip says. What does he say? Nothing. He says nothing. 
And I think that's very, very important. In fact, if you have an older Bible, a King James Bible, look, at, look in your Bibles at Acts 8.37. Do you see it? 8.37. It's not there. There's a verse missing, right? Hopefully, in your if you have the, if you're rocking the old King James, it's still there, okay? But basically, we've done manuscript studies, and we found that that verse was actually added in later. And so, most of the I would say every new translation, that verse is not there. You might see a little number. You ever done that before? And read down there what's found below, um, and it tells you that it's not original to Acts. Here's what what's amazing: somebody felt that it was so important that they altered Scripture. Does that make sense? At some point, somebody, a monk or whoever, I don't know, I didn't, I didn't look up his name. <laughs> He's in trouble. That guy added a verse to Scripture. And you know, only thing I can, and let's, let me just read what he says, or, or what that guy added. And by the way, what he added is repeated elsewhere in Scripture. It is not, it's not like, and monkeys shall rule the earth. It's not like something crazy that's been thrown in there. It's Scripture. God's word is communicated to us, even if we had not caught this. But this is what it said. They added in something that Philip never said. He said, Philip said, if thou believest with all thine heart, thou mayest. And he answered, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. In other words, the early church, a few hundred years after this, felt very uncomfortable that the eunuch didn't do anything. That the eunuch just said, what's to prevent me from being baptized? And was baptized. They said, well, he didn't. He didn't make a profession of faith. He didn't believe with all his heart. He didn't have a born-again personal experience. How is it that he is able to be baptized? That stuff is important. Listen, we, you cannot come to Christ without acknowledging him as Lord and Savior. We know that, right? You can't come to Christ without the Spirit of God initiating that within you. Absolutely. The, the, um, it's implied within the text that he believes in this Jesus person, right? But they put it there implicitly because they were uncomfortable with how easy it was in this text to come to Christ. And Luke, specifically the guy who's writing this book, wants it to be emphasized there are no barriers at all to coming to know Christ. There are zero barriers. There's not even a, hey, I need you to say you believe in Jesus out loud in a statement that I put in the Bible before I baptize you. There are zero barriers at all between you, between anyone, and being baptized and brought into the kingdom of God. This is an incredibly important moment. Again, it occurs very early in the book of Acts. It occurs before Cornelius is baptized, and that guy represents the Roman Empire. He's a Roman guy. It occurs before Paul, uh, Saul becomes Paul. And we've been reading uh, this book is kind of like our, our foundation for this sermon series. Can you even see all that? Um, and it's written by a guy named uh, Daniel Hayes from Every People and Nation. So let me just read this to you. This is what he says. The conversion of this African was no mere coincidence. An angel of the Lord directs Philip to the meeting place, and the Holy Spirit prompts him to approach the African man. Likewise, at the end of the encounter, the Spirit takes Philip away. As in the entire unit of Acts, the Spirit plays a major role. So we can conclude that it was clearly part of God's plan for the gospel to reach this black African in the most initial stages of the Christian evangelistic expansion. A Greek-speaking Semitic Jew led a black African eunuch to Christ 
in one of the first evangelistic encounters ever recorded in Christian history. Thus, setting the stage for the explosion of the gospel into the world that took place over the next 30 years and giving a foretaste of the mixed composition of the new people of God that will fill the kingdom of Christ. This is an amazing moment that takes place, and it is a moment that is orchestrated completely by the Spirit of God. Don't forget that. Sometimes it's easy for us to get carried away with the human characters and forget that this is all, all about the Spirit of God. It is all about redemptive history. It is about the way God is moving in the world then and in moving in the world today. Stephen is important, but the best way to look at him is that he is like a, a I'm going to mess it up in the musician, a woodwind instrument, a wind instrument, right? The instrument is very important, but at the end of the day, it is the master musician, like ours, that is putting the wind through there and making the instrument make beautiful music. And it is the same for Philip, and it is the same for us. And so I want to point out just three little, do I have time? Three little things about the Spirit of God that we can gather from this section and from the book of Acts as a whole. The first is that we see a completely different life pattern in Philip and the apostles than we see in the world that we live today. What do I mean? Remember early on what Jesus said. He said, go make disciples, baptizing them. Philip's doing it. In the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, um, I'll be with you always. Now you need to go wait in Jerusalem. And what did they do? They went and wait. Why, how come he didn't ascend and then just like, boom, you got the Spirit, go. Right? He said there's a pattern in Scripture of waiting and listening for the Spirit. And then going. So the pattern is like this. Wait, wait, wait. Listen, listen, listen. Go. Wait, wait, listen, listen. Go. It is the primary function of our church, right? The church functions as the church gathered, where we gather together. We listen to God's word. We pray. We are infused with and empowered by the Holy Spirit, and then we are the church scattered. These are the two modes uh, or pattern of our life as missionaries. The church gathered, listening and waiting and breathing, just taking a breath like I need to, or and the church scattered. But what is the pattern of the world? I know you know it. What's the pattern of the world? Go, right? Go, 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 go. You forgot something. Go, go, go. Oh, go at work. And then when you get home, go at home. And then when you get to uh, go play, go play, go, go. It's always go. There is never a pause or a rest or a listen. In fact, I think one of the main ways um, that, that the evil one tries to keep us from connecting with the Spirit is by keeping us constantly distracted that by the cares and concerns of this world, the seed that is within us dries up. I, was, I, I saw a funny meme at some point in the pandemic. I couldn't find it anymore. Uh, I think it was on uh, TikTok. But it showed like, like during, during the pandemic, and it showed a guy like sitting at his desk, and he had his laptop, and he's like working hard. And he's like, work. And then it showed during the pandemic, uh, vacation. And it showed him just like move to his couch. And then start to, it just changed what was on the screen, Right? Are we getting any real rest? Are we, are we really listening when all that our pattern is is just constantly go, 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 and to never listen, listen, listen? We have to be quiet, and we have to listen. We have to have enough. If you don't have a relationship with God, 
think of it this way. You haven't have to have enough space in your life to have a spouse. If you already have a spouse, imagine having a second spouse. Don't do it, but just imagine it for a second. Um, imagine ha- you have to have the amount of space, relational space in your life. And that's different for each of us, right? I'm an introvert. I have space for zero people. But it, extroverts have more. But you have to have space in your life for a deep intimate relationship and if you've ever had a deep intimate relationship with a spouse or with a boyfriend or a girlfriend or a mom a dad son daughter brother sister you know that takes lots and lots of intense listening patience um and an investment in that person secondly we cannot seek the spirit for our own ends even if they are good ends in other words if you're trying to seek the spirit because you are trying to get something um It doesn't work that way. In fact, Simeon the magician, I told you I wasn't going to tell you about him. I'm going to tell you about him. That guy, what he did was basically say he saw Paul going, uh, sorry, saw Peter blessing people and them receiving the Holy Spirit. And he was like, woo, look at that. I want that. Hey, Peter, let me get, give me, I'm going to give you some money. You teach me that magic trick with the Holy Spirit and I will go around and bless people with the Holy Spirit. Hey, good end, right? You're going to go around and give people the Holy Spirit. That sounds great. What does Peter say? Get up out of here. You're like Satan. You don't know what you're talking about. I think he specifically says your heart is not right before God. And the same is true for us, right? If we are seeking the Spirit and only you know what you came here for today. Maybe it's peace. Maybe it's a sense of purpose. Maybe it, whatever it is. If we, if we are coming to our Father in heaven to get something, at the end of the day, we're the firstborn son. We're just trying to get something out of him. Um, thirdly, if we expect the Spirit to lead and guide us, we have to be part of the mission, right? Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, ends of the earth. Where is your Jerusalem? Where's your immediate context, your immediate neighborhood, your immediate city of relationships that you you can, you can talk to fluently. You understand the culture and the context, something like that. I think in like uh, Miss Tita talking with a Seattle Seahawks fan. She doesn't have to try, right? That's just built into who she is. That's your Jerusalem. Your Judea is the surrounding country that, again, is, is similar, people that are similar like you. Your Samaria are cross-cultural folks that you don't have a lot with. Where is your Samaria? And then where is your ends of the earth? Where are these places that far away that we have been called to to come alongside? Philip was used to reach this one official, this one official that was going back down to the ends of the earth. By the 4th century A.D., Christianity was firmly established in the kingdom of Cush. It spread to modern Ethiopia and all along the northern African coast. And actually today, if you look at the entire population of Christians, like if we just took all of them, about 10% of Christians reside in the United States. About 25% reside in sub-Saharan Africa. And every year, our number goes down and their number goes up. It is a powerhouse of the Christian movement today. And I would be remiss, of course, if I did not at least mention that we as a community have a very special connection with Africa and specifically with the region over there with, um, with Ethiopia because we have a missionary, a couple, 
and I'm not going to name their names uh, for specific reasons, but um, they are here today. They're here almost every day, and they have, we've been in partnership with them for over 16 years supporting their outreach efforts to the Somali community right in that region. Um, over 55,000 Somali refugees live in our area, and they have ministry out to those folks. And not only that, they have a website where they connect, um, because over there it's a lot more dangerous, where they connect Somalis to each other and to the gospel. If you want the excitement of Acts, if you want to be filled with the Spirit of God, if you want to be like these people in Acts, go talk to those folks. Ask yourself, where is my Jerusalem? Where is my Judea? Where is my Samaria? Where is my ends of the earth? Where is it that God is calling me as Philip? to just point people and to share the gospel. And now let me give you one caveat. And that's that if that sounds great and exciting to you, you cannot do it for the excitement. That preach is a lot easier, and it's tempting for me to do it, right? If you join God's mission, you'll have excitement. If you join God's mission, you'll have purpose. If you join, no Jesus, no peace. Have you seen that one? You'll get something. This is the caveat. You can't join God's mission for the excitement and the life purpose and the miracles. Otherwise, you are Simeon. You're trying to manipulate God, his spirit, and his mission for your purposes. And and maybe it's something else that you want besides excitement. It could be fame. It could be success. It could be a sense of peace in a chaotic world. Only you know why you've come here today again. We don't do mission so that we will receive something We do mission because we've fallen helplessly in love with the one who made us. We've fallen helplessly in love with the one who redeemed us. And we've fallen helplessly in love with the one sent to guide us. The Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Everything else that happens that we produce, that we receive, is surely by the free grace of God in our forever changed lives. Our Lord and Savior The love of our life, Jesus said, you, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. You will be empowered and led by the Spirit for this purpose as you go. Throw open the doors to the kingdom of God, to every ethnicity, to every culture, to every economic level of society, even those that you might feel are expressly prohibited from joining the kingdom of God. We do this as ambassadors of Christ, every one of us, no matter where you've come from, no matter who you are, no matter your background, because we come with the status of a firstborn son of God. We come with the status of Jesus, not because of anything in ourselves, but by the sheer grace of God. Amen? Amen. Let us pray. Our Father in heaven, change our hearts from the inside out. For those of us that know you, we ask that you would turn us more and more into that relationship with you via your spirit. For those of us that don't know you at all, we ask that you would begin the initiations in our heart. Show us in our lives where the eunuchs are, those people that feel like they cannot come, but that are welcomed with open arms into the kingdom of God. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.